Hey, everybody, it's CJ Graham, Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th, Part 6, and you're listening to Kellen Petty Talk Show. Welcome to a brand new episode of the show. It's been a few months since we've had a special film guest on here, and I'm proud to say we're joined by the great C.J. Graham, who you may know as Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. It's an absolute pleasure to have him here with us today. All right. How did you survive quarantine this year? Did you pick up any new hobbies? You know, guys, for me, it was easy. Uh, Three and a half years ago, I retired from running casino resorts. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I was a chief operating officer, general manager of multiple casinos with give or take 2,500 employees. So when I stepped away from that industry, uh, I bought a ranch. So I'm in Montana with horses and alpacas. Uh, you know, I don't have to go anywhere except to go buy food. I'm in a good space where I don't have to go to work every day is what I'm saying. Um, so for me, it was like, we pick and choose. Got to realize also in Montana, we're out quite a ways compared to oh, yeah. most people in Los Angeles or, you know, uh, New Orleans. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're still conscientious. I wear a mask everywhere I go when I go to Home Depot, whatever. Yeah. Um, clean my hands as soon as they get back in my truck. I don't even hesitate. If I'm into a store or anything that I've walked into, as soon as I get in my vehicle, you know, I spray my hands both sides. Um, I've flown a couple times, three times this year, as a matter of fact, and of course, there's hardly anybody on the plane, but I did the same thing. I clean my hands, wear my mask. Absolutely. So for me personally, in a good space, it didn't really affect me. Um, you know, over 300, over 300,000 people, unfortunately, passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been fortunate because nobody in my family has gotten the virus. Um, and I have family members everywhere from Nevada to California to Oregon to Washington um, to New Hampshire. So they're a little bit spread all over. So for me, you know, since I could stay home and didn't have to worry about going to a convention, uh, again, I got lucky I'm in a good space. Do you shoot a lot of guns out in Montana? <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a couple. Uh, you know, it's, it is, you know, when you get out here where I'm at, you know, it's a big, it's a big ranch. So, you know, you yeah. just go out to the barn and there's a target across the little gully there. And it's about uh, 60, 70 meters. And yeah. you just fire at will, uh, so to speak. So um, I've always been, though, you got to remember, guys, you know, 30, 34 years ago, we did the film. Yeah. But 46 years ago, I was in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to remember, I'm old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually had a couple of uh, questions about your military service, actually. Well, first of all, we really appreciate your service for your for our country. And Thank we, you. me and Kel and uh, we have members of our family ourselves that are currently in the service too. So we really appreciate that. So I just wanted to say thank you, of course. Of course. Uh, um, you know, I, I appreciate it. I'm sure everybody that, that has been there is appreciative. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. I always say the ones that really need to be thanked are the ones that didn't come home. So mm-hmm. uh, they paid the ultimate. I get to sit there and talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, only about, three percent of the United States has ever been in the military so it's a very small elite uh, legion very similar to the small amount of people that play Jason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so if you don't mind me asking uh which branch did you serve in I was in the army army so I'm what you call Vietnam era Vietnam conflict was about 1959 the campaign was over in 1975 uh, so I went in before that window um, 
our troops were coming home from uh, the POWs in 72 and three for the most part. Uh, and then, like I said, 1975, the campaign was ended, I believe in April. Yeah, so you were like that. So you joined in right as it ended. Yeah, I volunteered and uh, you know everybody that came back was training us to assume the role and they were continuing to come back. And then, as I said, when the campaign was officially ended in 75, uh, you know, we moved on to the Cold War uh, synopsis. So, but I spent, you know, four years. Um, I don't know if you can see it up here. That was the uniform when I got out of the military, uh, 1978. I was a sergeant. I was in the infantry. So I was wow. a grunt. Um, and like most people in the soldiers that, that you know, even your family members, they'll tell you, you know, I, I, I did my job. I do, I do my job. That's awesome. And again, thank you for, for, for doing that. But uh, so we uh, are going to go into the questions and I'm sure some of these questions you've probably answered a bunch of time, but now we're yeah. going to talk about Friday the 13th. <laughs> Do you want to start? Well, one thing, just so you know, oh, yeah, I mean, go ahead. when you ask a question or your fans hear a question and answer, um, for them, it's the first time. So I'm very enthusiastic about giving the answer multiple yeah. times. But at the same time, when you're hit, when your listeners and you guys, first time you ever heard it from me or heard it at all. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's important. If I wasn't fortunate enough to be here and um, I'm very humble about the fact that three decades, you know, here we are talking about Friday the 13th. So fire away. Give me those questions. And I'll give you an answer. Of course. Thank you. Uh, Kellen, do you, do you want to start? Yeah, I wanted to know, did you have much preparation with director Tommy McLaughlin uh, prior to filming? And how did you like working no, with no, him? Not a lot per se. Um, when I was interviewed for the part, uh, Tom McLaughlin, Michael Nomad, the stunt coordinator and the special effects people. And then I had to go to Frank Mancuso, mm -hmm. uh, an executive with Paramount Studios, Frank Mancuso Jr. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were very clear. Tommy was very clear, Tom McLaughlin, of what he was looking for. But Tom is very, as a director and a writer, he still wants you to embrace the character mm -hmm. and bring your life to it. Yeah. so to speak, no punt intended for Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, but he was clear what he wanted. And, and Tom gave me great direction. Um, you guys have to remember, this was the first time I'd ever done a movie. I'd never been on a movie set before. Yeah. And I'd never, ever done a stunt before until I stepped onto this movie set and started doing all my own stunts. So yeah. um, it was a very new experience to me. Uh, but Tom was very uh, cordial and told me how he wanted me to appear and kind of walked me through, you know, systematically the scene. And, you know, once he said action, I'd go to work. Mm -hmm. That's and awesome. he liked, he liked all the robotic movements. I remember hearing that in the uh, audio commentary, he wanted you to be more robotic, the Jason movements. Yeah. He wanted, uh, he did not want me to be uh, a dead dawn of the dead, so to speak. Yeah. He really wanted to be, be more of a universal uh, coming back to life, like a Frankenstein and kind of connecting the dots yeah. of your brain cells and always thinking and starting to show more curiosity and more systematic decisions, uh, which rendered very, you know, if you think about Universal Studios, you think about Frankenstein coming back to life. Mm -hmm. So Tom, you know, Tom's a visionary, you know, and not only just being a good person, great band member and a director and a writer, you know, he's got a very un unnatural way of doing things. He looks at things to a different mm -hmm. telescope. He explains it to you as the actor or the actress at, and then he lets you embrace it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm humbly appreciative he picked me. Um, I'm glad that we were fortunate that we delivered the product uh, that he wanted 
And that makes me feel good talking about it, you know, 34 years later, especially when I'd never done a movie or a stunt. So he took a big chance with me. Yeah. And uh, your appearance, well, your Jason appearance, like the way he looks in this film is, I think it's probably the most popular appearance to pop culture. Like, cause like the way, like, cause like, I think the way, cause like a lot of people that aren't too familiar with the franchise, when they see Jason, I think they see this undead hockey mask killer and that's and you were the first one to portray jason when he was undead so you like were a huge part of making him a pop culture icon yeah we were you know guys we were really fortunate um you know the fans have to understand this too part six uh in my opinion was the first uh film where jason became a principal in the movie and what i mean by that jason was always part of the movie but he wasn't the principal. And then all of a sudden in part six, everybody wanted to see what the guy in the hockey mask was going to do next. Exactly. And so my, my, my thought is he became a principal in the movie, but you have to remember part six, I'm very fortunate um, that it is one of the more popular in the series. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm fortunate because it's got that James Bond opening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, comes back to life like Frankenstein um, rock and roll hall of famer. Alice Cooper does the music. And you know what? I get to wear a Batman utility belt. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> so whose idea was it to do that 007 uh, opening? Tom right. McLaughlin takes um, full credit for everything. Yeah. That was his thing. You know, he had his vision, uh, his storyboards, everything he was ready to go. That was Tom. You know, I really admire his attention to detail throughout the whole film. And you could tell he really mapped out everything in pre-production. Oh, absolutely. Just everything. Everything just had the detail it needed. Um so I guess his name was Christopher Swift. Uh, he yes. was the one. He was the one on the special effects crew that did the shot of Jason's eye opening with the magnets co covering his face. Yes. Um, In fact, everybody asked me that question. God, you put me, and I would say, no, I yeah. can't take credit for that. That was Christopher Swift. Yeah. <laughs> special effects guy. I was on set doing a shot. Then they had what's called second unit. Yeah. And it was a close up, and he has kind of green eyes like me, and mm -hmm. he volunteered to put all the makeup around and. Put the maggots on the side. They're real maggots, by the way. Yeah. Uh, we had a maggot wrangler, which means somebody was there with a Q-tip pushing <laughs> the maggots from getting in his eye. Oh, so I'll always, I always give Chris credit for that. Um, it's not that I wouldn't have done it, but at the same time, go Chris. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Are you happy you didn't have to do that or do you wish you did? I, you know what? I didn't mind you guys. Like I said, um, you got to remember everything, all the stunts I did, I'd never been set on fire. So I guess if I'm goofy enough to be set on fire, I might as well put a maggot in my eye, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the other eye shots were obviously you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think I'd want maggots near my eye either. So oh, <laughs> I can't blame you on that. <laughs> we, yeah, we actually, I, you know what? Like yeah. I said, Christopher Swift did it. And it's funny because I, I don't think people realize that till the last few years with podcasts uh, becoming so uh, popular that the word and people would ask me, I would, never take credit for something I didn't do, number one. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I said, oh, no, that was Christopher Swift. And, I, you know, I had the fortunate of uh, not seeing him, but getting his number and texting him in the last six months. And he's doing quite well. But, yeah, I'll always remember Christopher Swift. <laughs> so how I was going to ask, how cold was the water in the beginning, the, the fake rain? Was that cold or could well, you just not feel it because you had all the costume on? Yeah, everything was cold. <laughs> there yeah. was nothing warm on Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, you have to realize, to do the water scene, uh, we used four different bodies of water. Okay. Four different bodies. So 
there is a scene where we're at Lake Cummington, uh, we're in Cummington, Georgia, and there's a lake out there at the uh, campsite. And that's a stagnant lake, basically. And it was, you know, yucky. Yeah. That's me going out in the water. And then City of uh, Industry. And going underwater in that water. And you can't see anything. You don't know what's in the bottom. You're just, you know, you get out there about shoulder height and then you duck underwater and hold your breath as long as you can. Yeah. Uh, then there's a the scene of me being set on fire. That's okay. in another water area, which is done in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Then there's the scene of me being underwater fighting, and that's in a 20-foot deep swimming pool, which is a dive pool in Los Angeles. Yeah. And you got to realize I'm physically chained down. I mean, it's a real chain around my neck, <laughs> and I'm standing on center blocks Jeez. during the fight scene. So I would signal yeah. for safety divers to come in every time I needed oxygen, and they would just shove a, a regulator in my mouth and clear it. Yeah. And I'd breathe, get some rest, and then go back to fight. Now, the fourth body of water was tom mclaughlin's mom and dad's pool yeah <laughs> and tom agreed from what i recall and i think he'll validate that you know he got a bunch of pig guts or whatever from the local uh you know place and he had to clean the pool after it was done because it left the pool a mess with the propeller the boat and the mask and everything going all over the place but so four different bodies of water wow that's incredible that's bizarre, but uh, so like obviously they shot all these scenes like a completely separate day, like and like all the above water scenes were in uh was it was Georgia, right? Well, every not exact not exactly the one in the stagnant lake in Georgia going out to the boat, you see me going underwater. That's Georgia. Mm-hmm. The one in the fire is L.A. The uh, Tom's mother and father is in L.A. and the twenty foot dive pool is in L.A. So. Of those four water scenes, one was shot in Covington and three were shot in Los Angeles. Gotcha. Yeah. Movie magic. They move you all around and they put it together and you just don't know. That's that's the beauty of it. And that's one thing, like me, like even Kellen and I being, you know, working in the film industry ourselves, I'm very, I like to analyze, you know, how, you know, like uh, cheating in stuff like into a film to make it look like that. Like you could shoot in a completely different area and cheat it to be downtown Los Angeles. And it could be anywhere, really. That's what's great about filming, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I talked to uh, Tom Matthews about this years ago, and then I talked to Tommy, uh, Tom McLaughlin about it uh, back uh, in our first interview. So like uh, the very first kill in the movie, which was Ron Palillo's kill, originally there was a heart that was supposed to pop out of the back, out of his back after you punched him in the chest. Like, uh, were there any other like all the other kills in the movie, were they trimmed up because of the MPAA? Like, were they supposed to be more intense? Well, they were all trimmed up because they were all shot with full intent of gore. And when Tom got into the editing process, he had to cut them back. He would shoot two different ways with things in case he couldn't get it through. Otherwise in those days, my understanding is you'd have an X rating. So for him to get an R rating, he had to clean it up. There is a scene where the hearts punch through and you do see it in this movie, but the heart's in the hand of Jason. But the scene was the heart is still beating and the blood was pulsating out of the artery. Oh, damn. Obviously, that didn't make it. And then, of course, taking the head off, blood pulsating. Um, so there are scenes that were modified. Uh, you pop the head to the uh, deputy and it was supposed to be a little more gruesome than just blood you know, splurting on Jason's mask. Mm-hmm. So he shot him in two different ways, uh, fully understanding there would be some pullback. And there was, and unfortunately, it's, it's really unfortunate. In those days, everything was put on tape. 
and everything when mm. it was edited would just sit on the floor and be swept up and put in the garbage. Yeah. Um, in today's world, they do the director's cut because everything is digitalized and put in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And you can go back 10, 10, 15 years now, 15 years, not quite 10 years, and you can bring it back and put together a new film with an extra 10 minutes if you want to. And that's what a lot of people do in the industry now. Yeah. Tommy did tell us, like when I asked him, maybe if we could ever see a director's cut version of part six. And he said, there's probably something stored somewhere. It would be, he said he'd probably have to go back and dig deep, but Hey, here's to hoping we could see a much more intense version of the movie. Yeah. And you got to realize Paramount studios has the rights and and the the tapes that were edited, they're they're thrown into, and who knows where they're at storage wise. And you got to remember, unfortunately it sounds simplistic to find and get it's not. And now digitally, everything is downloaded, uploaded, and reloaded. Uh, but you'd have to actually find the cans. Then you got to realize it was shot in a completely different uh, millimeter, and it's it's tape versus digital, and it's not very good VHS back then. So it's kind of like going back to the black and white days and taking a film and making it color. It's uh, a lot of work. Yeah, it's a process. Yeah, I feel like Tom McLaughlin uh, was responsible for reinventing the franchise. I think his script and idea for part six really paved the way for more films to come. And I feel like without part six, I don't know if we would have seen all the later films, honestly. Definitely yeah, not. I think, I, I mean this, I think part six, Tom, fortunately, uh, the film was successful where it was a launching platform for the series to be continued seven as to where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure, I don't know if you've probably been asked this. So all like the background actors that were campers and all that, were they terrified of you? And I mean, did, was there ever a time like where you probably had to like take off the mask and step out of character just to make sure they weren't too scared of you? <laughs> no, I, I I stayed away from everybody. I stayed in the back of a truck with Christopher Swift and a few other people and just hung out uh, until it was my turn to be on the set. And I'd walk down and when I'd get closer to the set, we'd put the mask on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they really didn't see me without the mask. Now, there are scenes that I did like in the motor home with Tom Finley where um, I walked up towards the mirror. But once I go to thrust a real knife into his head, I take the mask off so I can see what I'm doing because very uh, trustworthy that I would actually forcibly thrust that hunting knife close as I could get it was stopping <laughs> to an actor. Um, no different than Darcy. You know, I would take the mask off so I could see what I was doing. I would physically take her head and she allowed me to forcibly throw her head to a camera and stop it uh, before actually plunging her into the camera to get that effect from how fast her face is going to, which is the side of the camper. That's bizarre. (laughs) Now, this film was mostly shot at night. So would you sleep most of the day before shooting or were you out partying as Jason Voorhees pranking people? <laughs> no, it was, it was a half and half. You, you got to realize when you're on the set, it's a 12 hour set yeah. and it's tired and cold. There are yeah. a couple scenes where I'm lifting up the arm okay. uh, in daylight. And that's yeah. one of the first, there's only like two scenes that are daylight. Yeah. And I think people don't realize if you're shooting, you know, your call is at 6 PM, even though mm-hmm. it may not get dark till eight. Mm-hmm. They want you there. They want you on location. You're doing yeah. makeup, wardrobe, and your call may not be till 10 o'clock. And yeah. then your call may not be till 2 o'clock a.m. Mm-hmm. And then you may be trying to get that last 
shot in before the sun comes up and it breaks daylight. So yeah, it is hard, but it, it, we weren't out partying. We were, we stayed at a hotel, had a swimming pool and a, we just kind of hang out the pool and do a little bit of this and nice. sleep really to make sure we're ready for the next day. And how did you like shooting in Covington, Georgia? Was that a nice place to shoot? You know, again, first movie, not knowing anything to me, it was great. I mean, it's a very small, beautiful town. It's got a, uh, I think it's a courthouse dead center. And then the road goes all the way around it. So there's buildings all the way around. It's a center location, but a very old, it's only about 30, 35 miles, give or take from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it's still there. And yeah. the campsite is still there as a matter of fact, and oh, looks wow. exactly the same. Oh, it does. Exactly the same. Do a lot of people come up to you at conventions telling you that they've been there, like visiting it? Yes. As wow. a matter of fact, they do. And what I understand is the Forest Service is very helpful and very proud of the fact that Jason was there. Mm -hmm. And they allow people to do walk-arounds. Wow. That's very That's cool. Awesome. I would love to do that. So what was the, uh, the makeup and costuming process like each day? Did it take a few hours? Yes. I mean, at first it took, you know, there, you got to remember, as you said earlier, the film is shot out of sequence. So yeah, some of the scenes where my face was fully exposed for the graveyard, uh, mm -hmm. that would take several hours to get that uh, aesthetics of all the prosthetics on and then the aesthetics of everything being painted. So you couldn't see where it had been put together and glued. Uh, mm -hmm. But once we got past that point, um, really it was just a, a, a hood there was a prosthetic that was about an inch thick. Christopher Swift and his crew had made it with the special effects people. And it really came over my head. I kind of greased my head a little bit, soap, and it would slide on. Uh, and it was tight to my head because I had a, uh, a mask made that fit me all the way down. So that's why when yeah. I move, it moves with me. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't, you know what? It, it's a very simple, very unique Vietnam wardrobe. It's OD green shirt, khaki mm -hmm. pants, combat black boots, an 18-inch combat uh, jungle uh, machete, mm -hmm. the web belt, pistol belt, they call it. It's like a pistol belt. Uh, the holder for the darts is a 30 caliber World War II for a belt. Um, and the gloves were just like gloves you get down at uh, Home Depot. Mm -hmm. yeah. So which part of the costume were you able to keep then? Well, I have a mask over here that's in the uh, shadow box on the wall right now, which was from uh, the opening scene with the James Bond. Oh, wow. Okay, that's cool. And Tom, Tommy has the original mask, right, from like the full part of the movie? I, I don't know the answer to the question. Uh, he may. He may. Um, there I were only a certain amount of them made. Okay. Uh, I was fortunate enough. I ended up with two. Oh, okay. Um, and it wasn't like I, they weren't actually given to me. They were just in my bag. Yeah. And they ended up in my bag. Uh, many years ago, I did a convention and somebody came by with a mask for me to autograph. Okay. I was like, wow, that's a real mask. Um, how did you get that? You know, I could tell that it was real. Yeah. Oh, I got it from one of the special effects guy. And I was like, well, how much did you pay for it? Yeah. And he said a number. And I was like, oh, oh, I got two of them in a box. They're in the garage in Las Vegas. Um, yeah. So I immediately went home and sold one. <laughs> oh, wow. But I still have one on the wall. Very cool. That's awesome. I know. I know. Tommy has the tombstone from the. Yeah. From the he, in fact, uh, the I don't know where it's at now, but years ago, I remember him saying it was in the backyard of his mom and dad's. 
Oh, <laughs> I do. Years ago, that's where I was. That's awesome. So, did you go back and watch the previous movies to study the character, or did on that matter, did you ever see any of the Friday the Thirteenth films long before you ever thought you were going to be cast for the movie? I wasn't that familiar with it. Um, I did go back and watch uh, number three and four mm -hmm. um, to get an idea, you know, Ted White and Richard Brooker. Um, other than that, I really didn't. I hadn't really watched them that often. I was more of a universal horror. Yeah. I like the mummy and Frankenstein, Dracula. Classic. You know, I thought those were just crazy. Um, so I'm kind of old school. Uh, maybe that's why Tommy and I got along so well because I really enjoyed those monsters conceptually. And that was kind of a big thing for him in his childhood, too. Do you have a favorite Universal Monster, Frankenstein? Well, I have all of them upstairs. The old black and whites uh, with uh, Lon Chaney Jr. and Lon Chaney and the whole Boris Karloff, all of those crazies. I was just always impressed with them because not only did they create the characters, they did all their makeup themselves, created yeah. all their own makeup. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't like they sat in a chair and had people. They, they did it all themselves with a little mm -hmm. help, but they were the creators of the special effects. So mm -hmm. I just think those are, you know, you start looking at those, man, they're a lot of talent right there. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. Is it true you used a lot of your skills in the military to bring your version of the character to life? I, I believe so because um, I am 6'3". I mean, I'm 6'4 when I wake up. You weighed about 240 when you did the film. And I weigh 247 right now. So I'm of same character and statue. And when you're in the military, it's 30 inches all around. I'm sure you know that. Yeah. Family members when you're marching. Uh -huh. uh, so when you walk into a room being my size, even today, you have a natural strut. I mean, I don't mean it arrogantly. You just kind of walk in with a solid walk. Yeah. And it was very easy for me to emulate what Tom wanted. It's just my natural walk. <laughs> Now, going back to when you got the role, I remember you telling the story at Vegas. We went to the, the Q&A panel, but um, you, you got it at a bar, right? Am I right? Well, I was, I was running a nightclub in Los Angeles. Yeah. I had a hypnotist on stage on Thursdays. Okay. The hypnotist decided he was going to bring in a special effects production company to shoot his show so he could have it edited down to tapes to see if he could get some additional work, maybe even in Las Vegas at a cabaret. Yeah, just happens that the special effects folks that came in to shoot it were real effects, R-E-E-L, real effects. Their okay. studio was across from Paramount Studios, and they had done all the special effects on part four with Ted White. Mm -hmm. So they asked the hypnotist about doing, a, how about a Jason character to scare the subjects? And they were like, well, we'll, we'll put CJ in the wardrobe. We've got it. Yeah. He's the right size and guys, no exaggeration. The rest is history. That's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. You, you must've yeah. been thrilled at the time. I mean, obviously Again, yeah. you don't know what you don't know at the time. Yeah. Um, true. That's why I'm humbly appreciative. Three decades later, we're sitting here still talking about this for me. Yeah. It was an opportunity to do something I'd never done uh -huh. and it was fun. And they were paying me to kill people. <laughs> I mean, cool. Well, I mean, like I had mentioned earlier, you know, you're portraying somebody who, just like anytime somebody sees a hockey mask, somebody will automatically say Jason and you got to play one of them. And, you know, to be able to tell, to be able to express that to the world. I mean, that's a gift right there, man. Yeah. It's very, I'm very fortunate because again, we didn't really know what we didn't know. 
Um, I, and I use this as an example. I mean, there's give or take 1.3 billion people in India. Mm-hmm. And you can walk over there and show them a picture of Tom Cruise and they'd say Tom Cruise. You show them a picture of CJ Graham, they shrug their shoulders. But if you turned it around to Jason, Jason. Voorhees <laughs> and you show them a picture of the hockey mask, they go, Jason. Yeah. So it is a world name. It's got um, world recognition. Now, it didn't have it back in 86. It was still growing. You got to remember the, the top movie of 1986 was Top Gun. Oh, yeah. That's so true. competitively, you know, and horror hadn't really, it was kind of a closet backdoor. People liked it. It was a unique group. In today's elements, it's just a natural. I had a, a, a colonel come up to me. I didn't know she was a colonel, but it was a, a, a woman who wanted an autograph. And I, what are you going to do with it? And she goes, I'm going to put it on my desk in my office. Oh, that's cool. What do you do? I'm a colonel in the United States Air Force. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm a sergeant walking into your office, uh, colonel, and there's a picture of Jason on the back of your desk. But the point is the camaraderie between so many people that are Friday the 13th fans, sincerely, it, the, it goes across. It doesn't matter if you're a truck driver, school teacher, a student, retired, you know, everybody knows who Jason is and everybody has a story about the first time they saw Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. So going back to uh, some of the filming, some of the scenes for the movie, how many takes did you have to do with uh, the gunshot squibs? <laughs> you know, I, I, I was very fortunate and Tom was very happy because most of my stunts, most of my stunts were one take which blowing through the door in the cabin, if I would have slipped or fallen going through, because you have no vision, um, we'd have had to reset the door and set up and clean the whole cabin and reshoot. Going through the wall from the cabin to the outside and stepping down about 12 inches, very possibly break my leg, ankle, fall, reset, have to rebuild that side of the cabin. So I was very fortunate. The squids wasn't bad. I only did it one time. I was loaded, locked. Uh, when the squids hit me and the head, um, you know what? I was very fortunate that my shots came out with what Tom was looking for, and he was able to say, "Let's go." In most cases, you try to get two shots in case one doesn't work. In those days, if you had a shot and you saw the daily and looked good, you didn't go back and reshoot. Yeah. Yeah. So now, going to. Uh... Alice Cooper music video he's back behind the mask the man sorry the man behind the mask so uh it was shot after the movie was done being filmed correct correct so how were you contacted about the music video were you told who was involved uh the second that they called you about it they just go through agent like normal um Alice Cooper again today he's a, a rock and roll hall of famer uh but the interesting story about Alice Cooper guys is that in 1972, uh, 1973, I was 16. My very, very first concert of my life was Alice Cooper, Welcome to My Nightmare. Really? Wow. Um, So for me to get to work with him in 86, and now I've seen him a few times over the years. Last year, I saw him and did a a convention that I put wardrobe on and took pictures with the fans and Alice Cooper and me. Um, It's a pleasure. I mean, the guy is a wonderful individual to begin with. If anybody's ever told you about him, I mean, he's just, just, he reminds you of a Tom McLaughlin, just down to earth, great guy, obviously huge fans, yeah. but 
very humble, very, very down to earth, you know, pleasantly happy, satisfied with his life. I understand he's a great golfer. Uh, don't know anything about golf. I guess he's what they call a scratch golfer. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was just a, a pleasure. And then as I went forward into the film, of course, uh, there's a scene where I was on the Arsenal Hall show before Kane Hodder, and they had me in the back room uh, in wardrobe with a bag over my head. And it's a scene where they got Jason cutting, I think cutting cheese or something, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um, and I don't remember if I ever watched it back then. I do still have the card from our senior hall sign. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's really turned over a lot of things. And again, until a few years ago, when I had an opportunity to do a couple of shows, I didn't realize the magnitude of, uh, what Jason had become. I mean, I knew Kane Hodder's done a great job and a great amb- ambassador doing seven, eight, nine, ten. But mm-hmm. I didn't realize the legion of fans out there. So it's it's, it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Is it true that you were approached to reprise the role of Jason in Freddy versus Jason? Well, it's twofold. I, I was supposed to do part seven. Yeah. Kane Hodder will tell you the same thing. Paramount uh, had said, hey, let's use CJ. He's fine. John had written and was ready to go to work. Uh, However, John had worked with Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder, uh, and this is Kane, I'm just telling you how Kane put it, talked to John and John had to go to Paramount Studios to ask to use Kane, his guy. Nothing against CJ. Uh, We hadn't even started shooting. So Kane picked up the role. Um, When I was running Casino Resorts, a management contacted me about the interest of what I entertain, what I'd be interested in. And my attitude was, guys, you know, I'm a general manager of a billion dollar casino resort, a couple thousand employees at the place I was running and obviously a healthy paycheck. I would not leave for two months to mo- go do a movie and be unemployed. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I had to pass on the opportunity. A guy came in who did it, Ken, great guy. Ken is six six. if you don't know that. And uh, about two years ago, Ken had told me that they made him wear platforms two inches to make him six eight. Damn. So he's huge <laughs> in the movie. I didn't realize, you know, I just assumed TV magic. He is six six. He's big. Yeah. But they put him in a two-inch platform. So that's why he's just huge. Yeah. And he and he filled in for Kane for certain scenes in uh part eight. Which and yeah, he... he did a couple stunts here and there. And and sometimes it's maybe because Kane wasn't comfortable with the stunt because everybody has a specialty, and it could be that they were done shooting something and Kane was already on location shooting something else and they needed to get the shot done. So I, I don't know how that worked, but yeah, there were some scenes where if I, if I recall, I think, don't quote me, but I believe Ken was, uh, did some, a couple stunts and or was a stunt coordinator for one of them. Yeah, because usually when it comes to stunts, you know, the primary actor they have for the specific role, they want to make sure nothing happens to them, which is why they don't let them do certain stunts or they'll just say, I'm not comfortable doing that. Because, you know, if the primary actor gets injured, then production's pretty much fucked at that point. Well, one of the things about doing Jason when I did it, and uh, through most of them actually, is they want you to be able to do your own stunts. They don't want to hire two people. Yeah. They want to hire you, you do the stunts. Um so, but there are stunts that stunt people are experts at. I'm not going to get on a, a, a motorcycle and do a, a you know, wheelie, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just not, um, I'll jump out of a plane, you know, I'm okay with that, but I, ain't, yeah. you know, 
it's just the way it is. So sometimes you have to bring a specialty in like a, a car chase, like highway to hell. I did some of my car chases, but they were easy to me, you know, to yeah. straight road. <laughs> um, but there were a couple scenes that, you know, wasn't my thing. I couldn't drive a car that well in the middle of the desert uh, with what they wanted. Yeah. And I, now that it's funny, you mentioned highway to hell. I had a couple of questions about that as well. Uh, so uh, tell us what was it like getting to work with, uh, Chad Lowe and Christy Swanson. Again, it was wonderful. I mean, it was in 90, 1990, roughly. Um, Chad Lowe, who's Rob Lowe's younger brother, uh, Christy Swanson, both of them have wonderful resumes over the years and even up to that point. And then I had the lecture of working with some other people on there. Uh, Patrick Virgin, who mm -hmm. was the husband and opposite of Julia Roberts, Sleeping with the Enemy. And do you guys know, uh, do you know Ben Stiller? Of course. Oh, yeah. He's in it for about six seconds. <laughs> yeah and I know. his mother and father bless their hearts they were in it and uh his uh sister was in it at the poker table uh wow. if i recall and then of course there was a rock and roll i shouldn't say was she's still a rock and roll uh uh rock and roll female artist uh lita ford lita she's was in out, there. she's outstanding i i uh jammed with uh her guitar set a live band like karaoke thing one time but lita's outstanding she's Phenomenal singer too. Did uh, I noticed uh, the original Predator actor? I mean, may he rest in peace, Mr. Kevin Peter Hall, was also yes. in Highway to Hell. Did you get ever get a chance to interact with him? Yeah. Yes. You know, you make, people don't know that. It's a good point. I'm glad you said that. Uh, he passed away a few, you know, a little over a decade ago, I think. And he was the first Predator. And there's a scene uh, of this tall gentleman with his eyes sewn closed and strings hanging out of his eyes. And he's moving the boat across the water. Well, he was the original Predator. So that film had a lot of potential. It's an interesting film if you haven't seen it. The unfortunate thing is Hemdale, uh, the company, uh, bankruptcy, their whole company. And they had several films out at the time. And with that being said, that means the production was canned, ready to go to the theaters. And it sat on the shelf. They bankruptcied. And it sat on the library until United Artists and uh, MGM bought it a few years ago. Yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, because like that's like the one thing about a lot of because like a lot of uh, a lot of the production companies had gone bankrupt in the early '90s or so, and you know you had to like a lot of these films that were either in the middle of filming or had just filmed, and they just get shelved. Like, like for one example, they were doing like a Sleepaway Camp Four, and then that got canned. Yeah, yeah, well, well and Highway to Hell, um, I still have probably 10 of the original movie posters that were being distributed to the theaters oh, wow. for distribution, uh, getting it ready. And I still have them. You know, they're in the same box that Hemdale mailed me in 1991. Yeah. So uh, how long did uh, the Hellcat makeup take? <laughs> That took about five hours every day. I would, oh. in the old days, young men, there used to be a thing out there called MTV. <laughs> and I sat in a chair at 3 a.m. and watched MTV videos falling asleep <laughs> while they did makeup because it took five hours. Yikes. Uh, a young man, very talented today even, uh, Steve Johnson. Uh, you know, he's just like a Tom Savini, uh, huge in the industry. Um he was the one doing the makeup at that time. And he had his own place out in the Valley, San Fernando Valley. And uh, he's still in the industry, Tom, uh, Steve Johnson. Yeah. Where was, uh, 
where was Highway to Hell shot mostly? It kind of looked like it was maybe California or Nevada. Lake Powell, Arizona. Arizona. Oh, Arizona. I was close. (laughs) Love Arizona. Oh, it's beautiful there. And uh, so I have one more Friday the 13th related question. And then I'm, if uh, Kellen and uh, Donovan, please feel free to hop in once I'm done with this one. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no, no. Not at all. So, Tommy McLaughlin has expressed that he has a script ready for another Friday the 13th film that would serve as a direct sequel to Jason Lives, ignoring everything after that. If you were approached to reprise the role of Jason, would you accept the offer? So how long ago did you talk to Tom? Just kind of help refresh my memory. This was We today. interviewed him. Uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, <laughs> today. Well, I talked to him <laughs> earlier today through Messenger, but I asked, like, we talked about the potential film back in, over a year? back in March, April, April, no, no, probably, probably April, 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 April. We okay. did it because I, I, I want to make sure I don't ask questions. So, a year ago, Tom uh, talked to me that he had written a new script. Yeah, and he has since went on podcast and and told people about the script. Uh, and he is doing the best he can to uh, bring the two parties together uh, to allow him to uh, direct this script he's written which would be a connectivity from part six to seven and moving the pro- the process or the franchise into a new direction uh which i would call a launching platform because you got to realize it's going to be part 13 so yep. it's really got to be spectacular it's got to be and great thomas talked to me a, a year ago and over that time he's talked on podcast that uh if you know if i was interested and we could get it to work that he'd really like me to do it um as you may have seen some pictures of me, uh, I'm the same physical size, seven pounds different. I still have yeah. the same ugly face. I wear a mask. Um, <laughs> the nice thing about it is my waist is a 36. It was a 34. Other than that, I'm the same size physically. <laughs> Question is, and Tom and I have talked about it, is do I, can I physicality, do I have the physicality to do it? Now, you guys got to remember, I'm 63. <laughs> well, this time right? you could be riding now, horses in Montana doing it. Just slicing people up as you ride by them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you guys have to remember when you fall down, you guys tuck and roll. When I fall down, I go thump. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> so my point being, I would like to see the script. I seriously would seriously consider guys. And I mean this even to the fans, because it'd be an honor to do part 13, number one. And that Absolutely. if six is so successful as it was to be part of part 13, um, but I have to make sure that I can do as good or better because mm-hmm. I don't want to disappoint the fans that have put me in this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. So second side of the coin is I'd really like to know the script is solid. If it was Tom McLaughlin doing it, I know it's going to be great because mm-hmm. I don't want to go to space. You know? <laughs> um, I really don't. I, I'm just being honest. Um, and I'm not doing it because I need a paycheck. I'm doing it because I'm in a good space. I can yeah. pick and choose. But to do part 13, what an honor. Now, I'll be honest with you. I could probably do most of my own stunts, uh-huh. but I'm going to use a lot of football tape on my ankles and my knees, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like even me doing minor stunt work as well, especially fight choreography, it can take a physical toll on you, especially if you land the wrong way on top of it. I did a film earlier this year, a 13 fanboy, uh, Deborah Voorhees. Uh, uh, D. Wallace is the lead. Corey Feldman's in it. Kane Hodder, Laura Park Lincoln, to name a few. And I had a fight scene in the end where I get to be the hero. 
and I had to fight a guy, fight scene. And listen, two o'clock in the morning, you know, it's cold outside in uh, New Mexico. But anyway, yeah. I had to Damn. do some fight scenes and pick some people up and stuff. And I thought, oh, shit, I can do this. Oh, I did it. Oh, I did <laughs> it. But I'll tell you right now, for two weeks, my midsection was black and blue where I tore a couple oh. of muscles. Oh, no. Because I'm just not, I, number one, I didn't stretch. But, you know, I just assumed I could pick somebody up from the ground without going down on one knee and yeah. getting a little help from the person. I just scooped them up like I was 27. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm confident that I could do it. I really am. You got to remember when Ted White did part four, I think Ted White was 58. He's Yeah, he, he was in his late 50s, I believe. Yeah. Wow, he was. Um, and I, I, Guys, look at me through the screen. Uh, you know, I am your worst nightmare, okay? Uh, <laughs> but i'm your best friend at a bar fight so you know what if i get the opportunity i'm going to entertain it seriously yeah um but if i can't give you my fans quality better than part six i'm not going to do it just to say i did it i don't want to embarrass myself yeah of course but I, if you do it just make sure you do your stretches yeah big time i think you'd kill it i would yeah. i would train heavily right now i just work out 40 45 minutes every other day at the gym i'm still lifting weights yeah, but I would actually put three months of training cardio uh -huh. to get leaned a little a bit more so that I could stretch a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Like what Kellen said, we think you still got it, and we think you'd 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 do the character justice. Thank you. Of course. Now, was there a rap party on Jason Lives? Any kind of like special party you guys did at the end of it? <laughs> there was actually a rap party on location. Okay. Uh, which was fun. And then, of course, there was the red carpet in Hollywood. And I wasn't able to attend because I had went back to work running a nightclub. So I was committed back to my job. So I didn't get a chance to go. And it took, it took obviously, a bunch of years for people to start recognizing you. Like you said, people don't recognize your face. They recognize the mask. So obviously not until the Internet probably came around and the convention circuit is when you started. Yeah, significantly. Um yeah. You know, Ed, it's one thing, as I'll tell you, is that I've been to the TSA in line, showed the agent my ID. And, and they know. <laughs> he looked at me and said, CJ Graham, did you play Jason? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Oh, man. And I've actually been at Universal Studios when the kids were 15, 16. Yeah. And somebody walked by me and go, you're Jason. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Really? Um, I will tell you, most people don't know in most cases, but as soon as they find out, yeah, it's amazing. Um, you go from being just a normal character, a big character, to sincerely um, and very humbly, you know, a principal where they're going, oh, Jason. Yeah. Oh, I love Jason. My first time my mom made me watch it or me and my boyfriend watch it. Um, guys at the convention, the one you talked about, Days of the Dead, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a seven-year, a seven-year-old young man come up to me to get my autograph with a hockey mask on. Seven. Yeah, that's crazy. So, that's and I have people seventy years old coming up to me to get autographs. <laughs> so it has and does command a worldwide recognition as a brand. Absolutely, and you know, even my, it's funny because I had mentioned uh, it to Tommy as well my first uh, introduction to Jason was Jason lives. And well, my brother actually forced me to watch it when I was like seven or eight. And I think I was traumatized when I, it was the triple decapitation scene, but I think that was the guy that you ended up replacing though, for that scene. Am I correct? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To be fair, the triple decapitation 
well, that's not really counts. It's the scene where the paintballs hit the belly, yeah. the midsection. That's yeah. not me. That was the person who got the role first. Remember, I told you they shoot out a sequence. That happened to be the the scene they shot. Yeah. And uh, people just assume, you know, I'm wearing some padding. Unfortunately for that person, um, they're a little thicker than I, um, and <laughs> they weren't coming across as the character should. So yeah. uh, I I was out there after that scene replacing. But I, I don't feel bad for the young man. I mean, he's my age, but he's went on to have a great career producing, directing, stunt coordinator stunts. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's not that it was unsuccessful, but the image that they were trying to create wasn't coming through and, and they saw it in the paintball scene and it just didn't look what they were looking for. So he was replaced. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's the thing about, you know, the film industry in general you know if one door closes another eventually opens but you know and i've seen that guy's resume too and he's gone on to do some amazing work so kudos mm. to him a lot mm. of it yeah yeah i mean so that's why i say don't feel bad for him because yeah. he's extremely successful in the hollywood industry mm -hmm. yeah and the one thing like kind of like how you mentioned earlier you know back in that day it like the franchise wasn't as big as like what it is today but that's what's great because like everybody loves nostalgia so much and, you know, Jason became such a, not, not just a nostalgic character, but like I said, a pop culture icon. And years later, he's admired by fans all over the world. And, you know, he's, he's become, he's become an icon. And, you know, like I said, you were one of the people to bring him to life. Yeah. I think you have to understand that. I think the thing about the Freddies, you know, Jason, Leatherface, Mikey, Michael Myers, um, people look at those and they're more realistic. I mean, it's great. Fast and Furious. All those movies are tremendous. I love them. I love watching all the action. Yeah. However, how many times can you jump out of a plane and land on a tank at 30,000 feet and keep going? <laughs> yeah. The Jasons and the Michael Myers, they're real. I mean, you look out there, there's not a green screen. I'm not flying mm -hmm. through the screen uh, with my hands and legs and on wires, which in itself is a lot of physicality and work. But it's really something right now, if you guys in that door open behind you, Ed, and Jason was standing full wardrobe with a machete, <laughs> let's be honest, you'd pee your pants. I'd probably, Absolutely. well, first thing I do is probably jump through the this door right here. Because <laughs> it's because it's so simple, so realistic. It is, it's traumatizing because you could look out, open the door and, you know, Jason theoretically is thrusting a machete through your midsection. You know, and so that's what makes it so, I think, nostalgic. I think that's why people grasp it and embrace it because there isn't um, a lot of green screen or tricks or computers doing all the work. It's real people on a set. Yeah, that's the one thing I always liked so much about, the, like, of course, you know, the Friday films is, you know, it wasn't overdone with special effects, but obviously it was the 80s. So there wasn't CGI. All the effects right. were all the effects were practical. And that's. And even I've mentioned this to Kellen when we've had our conversations about movies, you know, it's just like what the practical effects just feel so much more realistic than CGI. I mean, no disrespect to CGI. CGI yeah. is outstanding, but is. practical effects, you know, from back then, they just felt so much more authentic. And even if even if the practical effects are shitty looking, they're still better than shitty looking CGI, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think Tommy said he wants it all practical for this next one. Pretty sure. It has yeah, to be. He does. Yeah. So that's good. And quick side note, the uh, the brand new Friday the 13th collector set from Scream Factory is only 109 bucks on Amazon right now. So there's, it's a huge discount. 
what yeah i know i checked that last <laughs> night i was completely shocked because i paid like 170 for mine so and our, our buddy Devin drew the uh he did the artwork on the box so yeah. pick one up i kind of i'm kind of curious how long that artwork took it looked like it had to have taken about a year <laughs> probably took him like five minutes because he's so good well yeah <laughs> well i will tell you um when we did the days of the dead back in las vegas this year yeah uh the, the box set had just come out mm-hmm I probably had 10 of those posters brought to my table to sign. They're really extremely well done. Yeah. No, he's brilliant. Yeah. I wish I could do art like that. (laughs) It's so funny. He does that. And he's also like a semi like paparazzi out here. He'll go and get like the autographs and stuff. So he he does a lot of stuff out here. (laughs) Yeah. But he's so quiet. Yeah. And he, and he's the the t-shirt designer for cavity colors too, which is they're, they're based out of Atlanta. So, okay, Donovan, how many questions you got, buddy? Yeah, what do you got, Donovan? So, yeah, if I can throw a question your way, I know you talked earlier Ed about Ed said your... that was his last question, so I'm moving it to you, buddy, because he's I don't want to lose Ooh. you. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. I, I just enjoy listening because they are definitely super fans of Friday the 13th, whereas I'm not as much. I'm more of uh, coming from an outside perspective. But I know you talked about your military service and serving at a time where it was – uh, let's, you know, wasn't really socially acceptable to necessarily have served. So what was that like for you making that transition into uh, public life and eventually into acting? For me, it was, and, and you heard me earlier say the word Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. So that means just so you understand, I was in the military during the campaign, Vietnam era. So and then we went to what's called a cold era. Um, but a Vietnam vet, always remember, is a soldier, male or female, that stepped on soil, that was involved in the combat, was involved in the situation, uh, served on the, the uh, ships, the Navy ships, the cop, the pilots, et cetera, et cetera. So I always very conscientious. A lot of people don't distinguish between those two. They just think, well, Vietnam is Vietnam. No, it's not. Right. You know, and again, if I recall, uh, historically, the conflict had actually started in 1959. So they don't realize that Steve Dash was in the military. Did you, did you boys know that? I actually did not know that. I think I knew that. Yeah, Steve Dash played Jason number two, was in the military um, in the early 60s, but he was in Germany. Okay. But he was still Vietnam era, but he never really talked about it much because he, as I, respected the fact that there's Vietnam vets. So for me, everybody that trained me when I went through grunt training through Fort Polk. Oh yeah. Um, and all my infantry training um, had come home from Vietnam and they were active combat vets, we call them. And you know what, they had a, they had a little different stare than I do, um, but they really knew how to train you because they weren't playing. They trained you to be ready for combat because they had just got home from it. So they were turning the reins over to us. And then I went through my ranks and became a sergeant, went through Germany, went through Fort Polk, went through Fort Ord um, with the 7th Infantry, the 3rd ID, 3rd Infantry Division. Um, and then I ETS, it's called, after four years of honorable discharge. So the people, when I came out, they really didn't really matter about the military. It wasn't as important. Today, you'd be surprised. You know, I mean, I, I really appreciate everybody's got a college degree. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. it's nice. Yeah. If you get the job you want, you can afford to pay your bills. It's nice. Mm-hmm. But I've always told my son, I don't care where you work. I don't care if you work at 7-Eleven. Yeah. If you can pay your bills and you're happy, good, good for you. 
Mm-hmm. For me in that day, I always used to say, well, I didn't go to college, yet I ran a billion dollar casino resort. Yeah. Interesting. That's because I have a PhD in common sense. Yeah. But right on top of my four year military degree with the honorable discharge. Mm-hmm. So does that kind of give you an idea, uh, Donovan? Uh, yeah, I used everything I learned in the military about honor and integrity. And yeah. when you get off a, a chopper, Chinook, and you're in an LZ, a hot LZ, um, you better be able to qualify, quantify, and simplify everything real fast. Absolutely. No, that's that's huge. Thank you so much. Got any last last ones there, Donovan? Oh, am I? Oh, sorry. Am I? Yeah, I was just, I was just, whatever ones you got. Oh, you, man. (laughs) Locked and loaded. No. So, I mean, um, when you got into acting, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem like you've had that many roles. I've like looked through your IMDb page. Um, What make, what got you interested into management and specifically wanting to continue in that industry to the Mm -hmm. point where you did? Well, before I went to Los Angeles in about 1984, I was in Reno, Nevada. I was a dealer. I dealt blackjack, 21 and roulette. I wore a pink short, like this. So if you've ever been in the old days, they used to wear these polyester pink shirts with big puffy sleeves. Uh, So I went to school, became a dealer in uh, the casino. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go to LA, entertain some opportunities. Now, up to that point, I'd been a, a bouncer, you know, whatever you want to call them for a few nightclubs. Um, I thought, well, I'm gonna go to LA and I was looking at opportunities down there. Didn't know exactly, you know, maybe the sheriff's office, maybe LAPD, wasn't really sure, but I fell into, uh, running a nightclub. You know, I actually started, uh, working in in Culver city at a studio. And then I was also working as a doorman at a club. And for whatever reason, because of my management skill set from the military within six months, I was the general manager of that nightclub that we're talking about. And it was a big club. You got to realize 15,000 square feet, 1,800 people. Wow. And then the rest is history, guys. I want you to know that, you know, sometimes luck has something to do with it. You get lucky, you get the job adjacent, but you Mm -hmm. better perform. You get lucky and you become a general manager, but you better perform. Mm -hmm. Luck is just as important as having the right credentials. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately, I've always been successful and I've been lucky in some cases and I'm very appreciative and humble about that because I think I'm pretty good at what I do, but I will tell you the people I hire and the people I've put around me are great period, you know, but I am good at what I do. You know, if you want to talk numbers, you know, uh, one of my senior vice president general managers I hired to work for me, he had an MBA in finance. That's okay. My CFO, you know, accountant, my marketing people had bachelor's degrees, but that's okay. Cause if you want to qualify, quantify, and simplify, you want to talk about statistics, algorithms, and monetary return on the investment, I got this. And so kind of piggybacking off of that, if you don't mind, because I, I think you have this great uh, this great outlook on work ethic and not necessarily needing all the traditional credentials that people tell you to get, oh, you need a four-year degree. You need specifically that degree in order to be pro- productive. You're saying that um, you can find another way through this that you can um, maybe use your skills that you're naturally uh, gifted to create something else for yourself. So what do you, what message do you have for kids who are college students who maybe don't have the passion for what they're doing? They don't think that they should be there. What would you tell those people? I think in today's era, we've set ourselves up as a 
community that we anticipate, expect everybody to have a four-year college degree. Now, I don't know exactly what that gives that person because I didn't get one. My military service taught me everything I needed to know, responsibility, how to do a job. I mean, yes, it was an M16. Yes, it was a grenade, <laughs> but it taught yeah. me systematically how to do a job, you know, how to be proud of my job and put my life in the hand of the person next to me in the foxhole when it was their turn. When I guarded nuclear missiles in Germany, uh, these Persian nukes that were pointed to the east, we weren't playing. So with that became a sense of educational value. In those days, we called it OJT, on-the-job training. Today, they put you in college and listen. My son's got a couple degrees and working on it. And it's an important feature, unfortunately, today, statistically. But I really ask the same question. Did you do the research on the job that you're going to enter in? Is there an ROI, a return on your investment of what it's going to cost you to get that degree? If you're only going to make 50, 60, 70,000 a year, why are you investing $100,000 to make that job? Mm -hmm. I have people that have went to dealing school that worked for me when I worked for Steve Wynn that are dealers like I. I spent $200 to go to school, you know, 40 years ago. But yeah, my dealers at Steve Wynn's were making $90,000 a year. Good insurance, got a break every hour, free meals. So I think you got to really weigh. And then if it's not about the money, you got to still make sure you can support your family. You still got to do it. I think you got to try. You got to use your resume. You got to use, like I say, I have a PhD in common sense. Common sense. Use it. <laughs> right. And I, I, I love mean that. This. I taught all of my senior executives, all my vice presidents, senior vice president, general managers. And I had a whole table of them reporting to me, guys. My payroll was a hundred million, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to tell them three words like you heard me say earlier. Qualify, quantify, simplify. Think about what I just said. Qualify. Put it together. What are you thinking? Does it work? Does it make sense? All right. So you qualify. You quantify it. Now, does it make sense? Are you going to make an ROI? Are you going to get money? And simplify. Why has it got to be complicated? Mm -hmm. Don't complicate the issue. Simplify the issue. So everybody at the table and all the people that are washing dishes and the valet parkers and the hotel personnel understand the mission. Mm -hmm. Now, hear what I just said, understand the mission. Going back to lock and load in the military, you gotta know the mission. And if everybody doesn't know the mission in the battalion, we can't get the job done. To me, that's just common sense. But that in itself, I'm, I'm, it's a blessed, it's a gift and I'm happy and very humble that I have it. Um, but I do encourage people to get their degree now because it is a necessity. But in today's element, I really think is important. And, and I don't mean to sound like somebody's father, but mm -hmm. I think we've found, and I've said it for years, it's not that important to go to campus, just get it online. Yeah. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, people don't really care what college you went to. I don't care if you went to Harvard, that's nice. Exactly. But yeah. the thing is you have a master's, you have a bachelor's and they just want you to be able to put it down. I got it. Yeah. So I think it's important Get it, get it online. Now they're seeing how valuable it is to get it online. And it still is important. University of Phoenix and others to include Harvard are doing everything online. Hmm. So mm -hmm. use the common sense approach and you'll always succeed. And sometimes a little bit of luck. Mm -hmm. 100%. A little bit of luck. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, so Kellen and I wanted to run this by you, actually. Kellen and I have been trying to... Uh, 
coordinate something uh, potentially when the summer comes around because the th as you obviously know, the 30th anniversary of Jason Lives is going to be in 2021. Yeah, I ran the idea by Tommy and we're hoping that he would want to like, you know, do this as well. I know like most of the casts are in LA and I, I know that you're out in Montana, but we want to try to coordinate a 35th anniversary screening of Jason Lives. And we wanted to ask maybe if you would be interested in partaking to do a Q&A if we put this all together in fruition. Yeah, I think we could. Uh, listen, I did, like I said, 13 Fanboy this year. A year ago, I did Vengeance. I played Elias Voorhees. Yeah. I've got a couple more deals signed for next year. Excellent. Vengeance has asked me to come back and do Bloodlines. So I'm open for every opportunity. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, there is a, a company, and I don't recall their name, but okay. two years ago, they rented the campsite. And they had 40 people that paid, or was it 50, that paid to spend the night there and they wanted to have one of us come down and do a screening at the campsite in Covington, Georgia. So if you want to expand, this is the common sense feature. If you want to expand off that, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. you can do things. Now what's getting really popular is the drive-ins. I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing is people are renting out the movie theater and you can get two, 300 people in them and they're selling the tickets for whatever number you sell them for. Yeah. And then they're paying the principal to come in and uh, introduce the movie and then watch the movie and then do a Q&A with those VIPs and their price includes an autographed photo. So there are a lot of cool things you can come up with, guys. Um, and again, what I'm doing here, I learned from the hypnotist on stage. Mm -hmm. All right. Remember I told you I've learned things. I kept it. The <laughs> hypnotist on stage would put a suggested thought in the subject's brain. That's how hypnotists work. Mm -hmm. I just put a suggestive thought in you, just so you know, hey, now you're going to take that and cultivate it or not. It's your mm -hmm. choice. But now you guys are going to start, hey, you know what? We got a theater and hey, and before you know it, it may go beyond just, you know, what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it may grow into three, four, five, six hundred people at the campsite, you and the movie. It, I don't know where you'll take it. You guys are all very, very creative. Yeah. Uh, you're artists of your own degree, but that's what's called a suggestive thought. And that's what a good leader does. Mm -hmm. I give you an idea. I don't want ownership. I'm just giving you some thoughts. Mm -hmm. And now if you cultivate those thoughts to success, great job. And you should be proud of your accomplishment when you do it. Absolutely. So Donovan's taking notes going, you know, that's, that's no, I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Honestly, I'm here with a notepad. I am. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, Donovan, you think about it. I mean, you know, why has it got to be complicated, right? But I do know yeah. these pop-ups are becoming very popular and drive-ins and stuff. So, um, again, I wasn't thinking that it was the 35th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think personally, there should be a couple dozen people to take advantage of that in August next year and yeah. find locations throughout the United States of uh, other people and rent movie screens and do something like that because it is a great yeah. opportunity for everybody not only to embrace the Friday the 13th, but everybody to make money. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we wanted to get a handle on it pretty early. That's why we're... Yeah, yeah you're doing it right. But I'd like yeah. to see it. I'm very interested. It's all about timing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'll give an example. I've got 10 uh, shows already booked for next year, including going all the way to England. Wow. Wow. So, you know, everything from Monster Mania, Spooky Empire to Texas Frightmare. Uh, so 
yeah. you know, as you slot these, the biggest thing is what you're going to do so that Tommy McLaughlin and myself or Tom Matthews and Tom McLaughlin or myself and Tom Finley, whoever you can pair up because schedules can be a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, the sooner the better. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like if we could get you be the three Toms, as I like to call them, or even, a <laughs> David or even David Kagan and even a Darcy DeMoss as well. If we could get like a lot of people just for like a reunion screening in like Los Angeles, I think yeah. it would, it has a lot of potential. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. So think about it. I mean, the fun thing is it's unlimited. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really where you're at right now. Right now you're in the uh, thought stages mm -hmm. and this is where we're talking about qualify. And now we're mm -hmm. going to quantify it. Once you qualify it, you're going to come with all the concepts, the yays, the nays. Then you got to you got to look at okay, I qualified it. Now I got to quantify it. Now you mm -hmm. got to put put the paper down and put the pencil to it and make sure you have an ROI, return on the investment. Yeah. Then you got to simplify it. Make sure Absolutely. you can implement without any problems and get it going. So mm -hmm. qualify, quantify, simplify, simplify. Dobbin. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I'm giving Donovan a hard time because he's so quiet. <laughs> I love his background. <laughs> and he's yeah, got it going that. on, man. He's got it better than all of us. I mean, he's, he's got <laughs> a drop back. He's got SF, the microphone yeah. with the spit stuff on it. He's, <laughs> he's Gucci. Gucci. <laughs> so those, those are your couple uh, appearances then as of now, right? Spooky Empire, Texas Frightmare, and I think you said one more. Yeah, Days of the Dead is my first concert. concert my first <laughs> uh, show of next year provided health uh Atlanta. And about 60 days will be days of the dead no no punt intended yeah. atlanta georgia 30 awesome. 35 miles from the site nice oh man it'll be the end of february and it just happens it starts on february 26th and when i say boys i mean boys respectfully just so you yeah. boys know that's my birthday the 26th oh there you of go february oh man i'll be 64 that's crazy. So, you're you're literally a month younger than my dad. My dad. Hey, Jan son. Dan, January second. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said earlier I don't want to be. I don't want to act as somebody's parent or dad. You know, lecturing. Yeah. But I have a technique that I've used and I've spoken multiple times in large groups, including my employees. Nobody wants to be told what to do, man. Yeah. That's why I say the su word suggestive thought is much better. I came to a point with my son where I stopped telling him, I said, son, you know, you're 18 years old. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm going to, I will tell you when I'm giving you an idea. I'm going to be talking to you as a friend. And then I'm going to tell you when I'm talking to you as a dad. I had this distinction <laughs> between the two. So, but yeah, you can be my boy. <laughs> it's awesome. And uh, we're, I'm planning, I'm coming to Texas. So I'm going to be at that one, the Texas Frightmare. That's going to be huge. In fact, you know, uh, Louis Cooper, does yeah. that show. He's amazing. And mm -hmm. Monster Mania is next year. Uh, Dave has his show in uh, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, Cherry Hill. Mm -hmm. Those two, especially Dave, uh, are the biggest horror conventions in the United States. Horror. That's what uh, I hear. The other ones have a variety. Sometimes they're a blend mm -hmm. between a Comic Con and mm -hmm. a horror and just good films. I don't care if it's Happy Days. Yeah. Um, it's really become a real great meeting place for a lot of the actors and actresses mm -hmm. yeah i heard texas was crazy they're supposed yeah. to have alice cooper and he was supposed to be there this year but now he's just he's pending for the new the yeah. next one he and i were going to do photo ops this year uh before it was canceled correct yeah hopefully he'll be able to come anybody got any last minute ones um uh, let's see let's see here 
Vengeance uh, Bloodline. It's called Bloodline, right? Yeah, the one they're going to do next year is called Bloodline. Uh, and it's going to pick up with Jason's father, Elias Voorhees, and Jason. And, you know, that's the first time anybody's ever seen Elias Voorhees. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to play the part. So I have the ownership of saying I was the first person. You know, I grew a beard for four months. They put a stringy wig on me. Uh, <laughs> I'm the same size, obviously, thickness-wise and everything. So it was a role that was easy for me to take up because I was Jason's father. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw the first Vengeance and I thought you played the role very well, actually. Yeah, I'm glad. Thank you. And uh, again, like I, like you asked me about doing this event, I told them the same thing. Hey, give me some dates. Let's look at it and talk about the options. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'd like to participate in all these because they're a blast, including yours. But if I get mm -hmm. into a scheduling conflict, if you can adjust, so the sooner, the better than later. Yeah. Um, give an example. Last year when uh, everybody canceled their show. Texas Frightmare is a good example. It canceled yeah. and went to August, if I no September, if I recall, uh, tentatively. And uh, Lloyd asked me if I could do it, and I said I can't. I've mm -hmm. already committed to a one-day show on the East Coast, mm -hmm. and even though his is one of the biggest in America, and it's a three-day show, I already made a commitment to somebody uh, yeah. months before on the East Coast, so I had to say I, I can't do September. Had to keep your word. Yeah. Honor and integrity, guys. Don't forget mm -hmm. about it. Uh, and thank you for even like just like not just like the questions, but even all the great advice too. Like that, we'll definitely keep that in mind. So thank you. Well, I don't know a lot, and I don't know a little, but I made some mistakes and I've had some successes. So, well, you we know, appreciate it, you sharing them with us because honestly, yeah. all of your stories were amazing. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you so hey, much for, for having your me time. on the show, and thanks to the fans thank for you. putting me here. Um, very, very appreciative, and just just very blessed that you guys even want to talk to me three decades later. So thank you so much. You guys be safe. Absolutely. Thanks for being too. here. You know, it's nice talking to the three musketeers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.